0: Well, we're continuing our series called The Rhythm of God. We've been working through The Rhythm of God for the last few weeks and basically answering the question, how do I know who God is? And the way we understand who God is, just as the Israelites questioned who God was in the Old Testament before they went into the Promised Land, Moses writes this book called the Book of Genesis. It's in the Book of Genesis where he says, if you want to understand who God is and how God works, if you want to understand the rhythm of God and the patterns of God, We've got to go through and go back to the beginning. We've got to go back to the origins to understand how God works, how God moves. And so he writes this book of Genesis. And we're going to be looking particularly at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 through 21 this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 through 21. We're going to be looking at the rhythm of God's rescue. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 through 21. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise, he shall bruise your head, and you he shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the Plants of the field, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken; for you are dust, and dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God, Lord, with the spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us this morning and may we see Jesus and Jesus alone and it's in his name I pray Amen. At some point in your life, maybe even right now as you sit here this morning you at some level are desperate for rescue. In your life you have longed for rescue from a relationship. You have longed for rescue from a certain situation. You have longed for rescue from a certain disease or a different ailment. You have longed for rescue from a certain job. You might even be sitting here this morning and say, I want to be rescued from this current election. Whatever it might be, you at some level in your life are longing for rescue. I found a couple weeks ago, there's even an app for your phone that you can be rescued from meetings. You call this number before the meeting, type in your number, and it will call you at the time that you want to be interrupted so you can get out of the meeting. You want to be rescued from everything. There's not one single person that at some point in life said, rescue me. Rescue me from whatever it might be going on in your life. And certainly as we've talked about the last few weeks, God spends two chapters, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, pouring into his creation, bringing something out of nothing, life out of death and light out of darkness. And he says over and over again in Genesis 1 and 2, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is is very good. And as we looked at last week, all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 3, sin and death enter into the world and what was good is not so good. We see the reversal of creation, right? We see chaos coming back into the world. We see darkness coming back into the light. We see death coming back into the paradise of life. We see a man and a woman that are in need of desperate rescue. See a man and a woman that long to be saved. So I want to answer three questions briefly this morning. I want us to answer the questions what do we actually need to be rescued from? Who will actually do the rescue? And lastly, how does the rescue happen? What do we actually need to be rescued from? Who will do the rescue? And how are we going to be rescued? First thing, uh, what do we need to be rescued from? R.C. Sproul, who's a theologian and popular author, wrote a book, and I love the title, a few years back, and it was titled, Saved From What? question mark Because as Christians, we always talk about being saved. We're saved. Are they saved? Are you saved? We need to get saved. We need to get that saved. And he said, if most Christians were to walk on the streets, and actually somebody was to reverse the question, and when you asked a person, are you saved, and they were to ask you, saved from what? I don't know if many of us would actually be able to articulate what they're actually being saved from. So it's important for us to understand when we talk about being saved and we talked about being rescued, what in in the world are we actually being rescued from? Well, we see it here in verse 7 and 8, and we alluded to it briefly last Sunday. In verse 7, what happens? The man and the woman are scrambling, and what do they do? They sew fig leaves together and they cover themselves. And then in verse 8, what do they do? Not only do they cover themselves, they hide. They hide in the trees. Remember I said last week that the fig leaves represent hiding from each other and the trees represent hiding from God. You see, the thing that we need to be rescued from, the thing that we need to be saved from, is the alienation that has happened. That we are people that have been alienated from God and alienated from each other. That there is a vertical alienation that has happened because of sin and death. And there is a horizontal alienation that has happened between you and me because of sin and death. And the reason that is so important is for us to understand that when sin and death came into the world, it affected everything. There's not one area of your life in which sin and death does not affect It affects the relationship vertical and it affects all relationships horizontally as well. There's not one relationship in your life, there's not one area of your life in which sin and death has not been found and has not affected. In fact, we sing it once a year. We sing the Christmas hymn once a year. Joy to the world. And if you know the last verse of joy to the world, what does it say? For as the curse is found. That when Jesus comes back, he's recognizing that that." The curse cannot be isolated to one area of your life far far as the curse is found. That is how far the curse of sin and death comes into the world. And why that's important to understand is because if we don't understand the wide-sweeping effects of sin on our life and on our world, we will always minimize sin. And as I asked you the question last night, when you read Genesis, last week, when you read Genesis 3... And you see man and woman that were created for one another. When you see God creating His his male and female and entering into a perfect relationship with them. And then all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 3, we are estranged from each other. We are estranged from God. In fact, Romans chapter 3 will say we're actually enemies of God. Because of sin and death, I ask you the same question. Is that the life you want? For those that minimize sin... For those that don't understand the wide sweeping effects of sin in your life, do you not simply have to just look at Genesis chapter 3 and see the chaos that it brings into your life? That sin cannot be minimized to a, a certain area or a certain aspect of life or the body or the philosophies from the beginning of time and religions and mythologies and ideologies have all tried to minimize the effects of sin. And the reason they minimize the effects of sin, they say, well, if we can narrow it down to this one area and we get rid of that area, then that will take care of the sin problem. And it's only in the Bible do we read. Only the word of God does it share with us. No, it can't be isolated to the body or the mind. It can't be isolated to one political ideology. It can't be isolated to one uh, social order or whatever it might be. The effects are real and the effects are deep. Far as the curse is found. And what a tragedy. We have been alienated from the God that has created us. We have been alienated from the God that has breathed life into us. What a tragedy. The God who said forever we will experience harmony and experience peace and experience this relationship with one another. We have been alienated from that God. And that's exactly what we need to be rescued from. Sin and death has created a barrier, a barrier between us and God. Sin and death and evil have created a barrier between us as people. We wonder, when we turn on the news, when we read the newspaper, when we go out into the streets, we wonder why there's so much brokenness, we wonder why there's so much chaos in the world, and we only have to read Genesis chapter 3 and understand the origin of alienation, of being unreconciled to one another and unreconciled to God. It's interesting, I was listening to a Christian psychologist recently and he said, by far, the greatest turmoil, the greatest way to guarantee turmoil in a, in a, in a person's life when they are older, turmoil and chaos, is to abandon them when they're a child. To be, a, to be abandoned, to be alienated, to be dropped as a child its the greatest recipe for causing turmoil and chaos in a person's life when they're older. And the reality is that is exactly what has happened because of sin and death. We have been dropped. We have been alienated. We have been estranged from the God that has created us. And from that moment on in Genesis chapter 3, it's been nothing but sin and death and chaos. What do we need to be rescued from? We need to be rescued from the alienation of God and from one another that's found here in 7 and 8. Hiding from one another and hiding from God. The tragedy of alienation. But not only do we need to be rescued from something, it also, Genesis 3 answers the question, who actually will do this rescue? Who will bring us connected to God and to one another? And the answer is found in verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. What God is doing here is he's saying there's going to be two lines. There's going to be two genealogies. There's going to be two offsprings. Right? And in establishing these two lines, he says, there's going to be the line of the serpent, and there's going to be the line of the woman. And he's going to start to tell us who will actually do this rescue. And he says, but there's going to be war in between the line of the serpent and the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. And last week we established what? Who's the serpent? The serpent is Satan. But more importantly, what does the serpent represent? The serpent represents the one that will come into our life and deceive us out. By getting us to believe that God is not really for us. That God is not really behind us. That God really doesn't love us. And he will get us to believe that lie over and over and over again. And God says that not only will be the serpent, it will be the offspring of the serpent. There will be people in your life. Remember this. There will be people in your life. Because of human nature. That will cause you to and fail and cause you to fail to believe the promises of God that will tempt you to believe that God is not really for you, that God is not really behind you. It's God's promise right here. And not only will there be a serpent, but will be the offspring of the serpent, that will cause you to believe and cause you to fail to believe that God is really for you.
1: But then there's going to be the offspring
0: of the woman. And there's going to be empathy. So it, it almost describes this cosmic battle that's going to happen. There's going to be two lines and two genealogies and two offsprings. The line of the serpent and the line of the woman. The offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. And he talks in the plural. There's going to be this offspring. This seed. These people that come about through the serpent and through the woman. But then, at the end of verse 15... He doesn't talk in the plural anymore. What does he say? God says, he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. What is God promising there? He's saying that through the line of the serpent and through the line of the woman, there will be enmity. There will be war. There will be this cosmic struggle between the people of God and the people of death and the people of this world. But through that offspring, there will be one, he. Who is the He. That will come to crush the head of the serpent. To crush the head of the one that wants us to believe that God is not for us. The king of sin and death will be crushed once and for all by a he. Who is the he? None other but Jesus Christ. Jesus will come into the world through the line of the woman. The only one that would be born only to a woman. Centuries later, to come and crush the head of the one that wants us to believe that God is not for us. The seed of the woman is Jesus. He is the one that will come and rescue us. He is the one that will come to defeat sin and death once and for all. He is the one and only one who will answer our cries to be rescued. To answer your cry. Salvation. You see, if sin is the cause, then only Jesus can be the answer.
1: I mean, many people have asked, and it's been debated.
0: Whatever happened to Adam in Genesis three fifteen? This is clearly God's first announcement of the gospel. That the first announcement of the gospel is not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's found right here. There's good news for. The first male and the first female here in Genesis 3.15. What? How does Adam respond? How does he respond in faith? Look how he responds. In verse 20, after hearing this announcement of the gospel that there would be one that would come to defeat sin and death once and for all. What does Adam do? Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You see, Adam could have easily looked at Eve and said, you're responsible for this. In fact, he does a little earlier. You're responsible for this. Now it's over. Game over. Paradise is lost. And he might as well give her the nickname death. You're the one, the woman, you're the mother that was supposed to be the one that would bring life into the world. And now you're the one, the woman, that brings death into the world. But he doesn't. He names her Eve, the mother of all living. Why? The only explanation for Adam giving her the name Eve and not condemning her, not judging her, but giving her and gracing her with the name Eve is because he had to have a moment of transformation in his life. Only a man that was transformed by the Spirit of God, only a man that put his faith and hope not in himself, but put his faith and hope in one that would come centuries later to rescue him from sin and death, only a man that put his faith and hope in a future Savior and a future rescuer could look at his wife and say, You are the mother of all living. Through you will not come death. Through you will come life. Only one that hoped in a future rescuer, only one who hoped in a future Messiah and a future Savior could actually name his wife Eve and the mother of all living. He placed his future hope in a future Messiah, in a future rescuer. So what do we need to be rescued from? Alienation from God. Well, who do, will do the rescue? Jesus Christ. And lastly, how will this actually be accomplished? We find it in verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You see, the problem with Adam and Eve in the garden was not running for cover. They actually did the right thing. That is the natural response to sin and death, right? They wake up, all of a sudden they realize their eyes are open, they're shamed, they're guilt, they're sinful. They realize before a holy God, they can't stand So it wasn't the covering in and of itself, the act of covering. It's what they used to cover themselves with. That's where they went wrong. You see, when they sowed fig leaves, they did what only you and I would do. When they hid from God, they did what only you and I would do. The problem is, no fig leaves can truly cover There's nothing you can do to hide. Truly hide. There's nothing you can do to truly cover and you see, the, the most exhausting thing in your life, whether you even realize it or not, is running for cover. The most exhausting thing that you can do in your life is hiding. And we do it all the time. And I spoke on it a few weeks ago because if they knew the true me, I would be rejected. If they really knew all of my faults, all of my failures, all the dirty stuff, they would never accept So Adam and Eve did what every single person does in this room every single day. Sowed fig leaves, hide behind the trees. But God says, no, that's not the cover you need. And what does God do? He takes an animal sacrifice and he covers them and he clothes them with garments garments of the commentators, say probably went all the way from the neck to the foot, fully clothing them in garments of skin. God had to sacrifice an animal so that they could be covered. God had to sacrifice an innocent, bloodied animal so that they could be covered. Are you getting the point? That it would be the sacrifice of the innocent animal here in Genesis chapter 3, being clothed with the garment of the innocent animal that would eventually be used in the tabernacle and the temple on the day of atonement, a bloody sacrifice that would cover the sins of the world. It would be the garments here of skin, the skins of innocent animals that it would eventually point to who? The innocent Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ. Right here in Genesis chapter 3. Covered not by their righteousness. Covered not by their fig leaves. But covered with the blood of an innocent one. All pointing to the future hope. The future promise of one that would come. To not defeat sin and death as a great army general. To not defeat sin and death with a king who flies down and lightning comes from his eyes. Not one that would come in a great military parade and defeat sin and death by common human ordinary measures. But a God who would come down and sacrifice his only son that we might live. The world has never seen this. You see, in every world religion, in every philosophy, in every mythology, there is always a provision for rescue. There's always a provision for salvation. That's nothing new. The need to be rescued is nothing new. And a, a religion that provides a way of salvation, a religion that provides a way of rescue is nothing new either. What is new here and what transformed this world and continues to transform this world forever is the message that its leader came down and sacrificed himself so that we could be rescued sacrificed his life and through his blood we might experience the forgiveness of sins and the salvation that our hearts long for you should, you sit here this morning and you need a covering you need to be covered Without it, we're bare. Without it, we feel the heaviness of our shame and our guilt and our sin continually. And then all of a sudden, God comes down and through his son, covers us. What a beautiful picture of rescue. What a beautiful picture of his amazing grace. Centuries later, the author of Hebrews would write this in Hebrews chapter 9. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Every religion and thought pattern in the world will tell you, blood has to be shed. It must work for this salvation. And they're right. But only Christianity gives us the hope (laughs) and the promise that that work and the shedding of blood is done through the Savior and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And your greatest struggle in life as you hide, your greatest struggle in life as you cover yourself, will be failing to believe every single day that God is not for you. That the serpent comes back and in that small voice says, don't believe it. God's covering is not sufficient. God's covering of your grace, of your sin, and of your shame is not sufficient. And on this Reformation Sunday, we think of the one, Martin Luther, who launched the Reformation, who said this So, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this I admit, serpent, that I deserve hell and death. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall also be. What an incredible promise. He's the one that rescues. He's the one that covers. Let me close with this. In Ellen Bond's book, she's a journalist, she writes a book called the God who hung on the cross. And she tells this incredible story of the gospel of Jesus Christ going into communist Cambodia, into the the isolated villages of communist Cambodia in 1999. And she tells one story of a pastor in particular who goes into this isolated village and he is expecting total resistance, either resistance or apathy or absolute ignorance because they had been isolated from the gospel or Christianity or anything to do with God for so many years. And he gets to this one village in particular, and he can't believe that people are actually receptive. They come to his worship services, they come to his Bible studies, and he finally pulls aside the matriarch of the village and he says, what gives? What's happening here? People are so receptive. I didn't expect this. And she says, we've been waiting to hear about the God who hung on the cross. She says, why We've been waiting, sir, for someone to come and tell us about the God who hung on the cross. And the pastor says, you've got to tell me more. And she goes on to say, back in 1979 when the communists came through these villages of Cambodia and destroyed our places of worship and arrested us and destroyed our homes, there was one day in particular, I'll never forget, where they were forcing us to dig our own graves, literally. Literally. And with guns pointed to our back, every single person in the village began to cry out for rescue, began to cry out for help. And you could hear people crying out to Buddha, and you could be, hear people calling out to the pagan gods in, 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 of their villages. You could, be, you could hear people crying out to their gods of spiritualism. And, but one girl in particular was crying out to the God who hung on the cross. And her cry to the God who hung on the cross was heard louder than any other cry that morning. And when they turned around, they explained something happened that we can't even explain to this day. As we began to cry together to the God who hung on the cross, we turned around. And on that muggy day, our captors had disappeared. They were gone. So I tell you, sir, for 20 years, we have been waiting for someone... Sir, we have been waiting 20 years for you to come and tell us about this God who hung on the cross. We have been waiting to, for someone to tell us about this God who hung on the cross that has come to rescue us once and for all. That entire village that day prayed to receive Christ. That entire village that day committed from that day forward that they would commit their lives to the God who hung on the cross, Jesus Christ Christ. That village right now has worship every day. That, that village right now now sends missionaries out to China. All because of the God who hung on the cross. It changed their life forever. And it'll change your life forever as well. My prayer for you this morning, if you don't know that God who hung on the cross. If you don't know that Jesus who came into this world to rescue you sin and death, to rescue you, to bring you into a relationship with the God, to reconcile you to him and reconcile you to each other, then I pray that you would enter into a relationship with him today and your life would be forever changed. I pray that you would meet the God, married for the very first time, who hung on the cross so that you might have life.